Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Ruby for All. Julie, what's up? What's good? Things are great. How about you? Things are moving and happening in my life. It's a busy <laughs> week for me, but I am excited. And I know you're excited too, because today we have our first guest on the show, Josh Goldberg. Josh, you want to introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me, hosts. It's, it's an honor to be the first guest. It's also funny because I'm not a Ruby developer, but I have written Ruby in the past. I just really like programming, mentoring, and being mentored. So we were going to chat about pairing and stuff like that. I'm in general a front-end developer. I do open source projects full-time. I wrote a book on TypeScript recently, and I stream on Twitch once in a while. Oh, that's cool. We will have to drop that Twitch link in the chat because that is, I love watching developers on Twitch. Hashtag like and subscribe. It's fun. It's like a different <laughs> medium. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So like Josh said, we're going to talk a little bit about pairing today. And Josh, you and I paired a lot while you were at Codecademy. And I really liked the way that you structure your pairing sessions. They were actually very organized and super helpful for me. So maybe we can talk about some of those sessions and what your experiences with pairing is. Sure. Thank you for saying that. I had the pleasure of working with Julie for a while. We weren't on the same team, but we did a, a bunch of pairings. And I worked on the web platform side of things over at Codecademy. Good times. Yeah, I actually didn't do a lot of pairing for most of my career, at least not, not prior to maybe 2018 or 2019. I kind of got into it in 2018. I was on a team that was doing a big rewrite that I had co-architected. And we found that you can't just tell people over email or MS Teams slash Slack slash Discord how something works. You have to do things real time with a lot of developers. Most of us can't just look at existing code, look at a, a .md or whatever file and just chug away. So I got to pairing a lot on a web platform team. And I found that there were a few strategies for pairing that I kind of needed to do to make it effective. One was shutting up and listening when the other person was trying to say something, which is surprisingly difficult when you're trying to code. Another was trying to figure out good subjects for pairing. Like you don't want something so easy that it's boring, but you also don't want something so difficult that it takes the entire pairing session to get your context up. So yeah, I think I got pretty okay, pretty good at it, if I do say so myself towards the end. And the only real way to do that is to just constantly do it over and over again. Build relationships with your teammates. Can I ask you a quick question? Since you didn't do a lot of pairing for most of your career, how would you change that if you were to start over? Would you try to reach out to mentors and start pairing more or has that changed your view? Oh, absolutely. One of the things you, Julie, do really well, by the way, is ask people for information or assistance or help. And that's something I'm garbage at. I've never been good at asking people for anything. My therapist and I have been talking about how it stems from childhood things. I think it does for everyone almost everyone, but I wish I had been more assertive and active in asking to pair with people for talking things over in real time. I used to have a habit of sending out a bajillion pull requests when I knew an area well, and then nothing, just waiting for them to come in. What, a, what an amazing opportunity to pair, lost. So yeah, definitely I would do what you do. I would, I would ask to pair with people more. That would have been great. To be fair, I, I do try to work on it longer than I should have before asking for help because I do have a problem with asking for help. But I guess at this stage, I'm comfortable with 
knowing that, Hey, I'm, I'm new in this. I'm a career changer. So I'm going to have a lot of questions and putting that aside, I have found out that people are very open to answering the questions that I have. And I have never heard anyone say that that was a stupid question. So I agree. I think it's really important that we just ask for help and not think that whatever we're asking for is silly or stupid. Absolutely. You, you brought up like thinking about, oh, all this we could have paired during this time or like having topics for the pair session. This is a conversation I've seen on Twitter recently. How long is a good time period for pairing? Ooh, it depends on the people, the rapport they have with each other and the task. I don't think I've ever seen a good pairing session that lasted more than like an hour and a half at the very longest. I also don't think I've seen a good pairing session that lasted less than 30 minutes with the exception of really small, like, oh, I just want this one darn thing to work annoyances. I think my ideal is probably like 45 minutes to 60, depending on the person. Like the, the first time you pair with someone, maybe don't go on an hour and a half long extravaganza, like maybe get a little rapport with each other first, especially, especially for people who are easily distracted if there's some kind of attention deficit going on. I don't know if any of us can relate that maybe sitting in one place is not a good thing for 60, 90 minutes. But if you, if you've paired a few times with someone and you get a juicy task that you're both interested in, the time could just fly by. So I don't know that there is one answer to that question, but I would love to know what you two think of it. That's a good question. I like long pairing sessions, which is like I have incredible attention issues, but when I'm with someone else, I feel like I have to pay it. Like it just helps me focus. So like if it were up to me, I would pair almost all day long. I mean, obviously with breaks and bio sessions and, you know, everything in there, but I like pairing for a long time. And how long is a pairing session for you? When I first joined Podia, Seb and I were pairing six, six, seven hours a day. With breaks? Yes. Yeah, that's not long ones. (laughs) Dear heavens. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm on the extreme end. Yeah, I do pair a lot across teams at Co-Academy, but none of my pairing sessions are more than an hour and a half. I find that depending on the pair, like the session itself, if I'm doing a lot of listening and not actively driving, then I can't last for very long. But if I am contributing and driving, then I could go for much longer. Yeah. Josh, how do you feel about, or how do you work in like trading off? Like, do you do trade off? Like, I'm the driver, you're the non-driver, whatever that thing is called that I can't remember anymore. And then you switch or do you kind of just keep it the way it is as it starts? The navigator, that thing. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Definitely a big fan of switching off, ideally. I really like what you said, actually, about being forced to or feeling like a little more pressured to do things in a nice way. I get that at coffee shops. I love coding in a coffee shop. COVID was brutal for my side projects, among many other things. Yet the first time I pair with someone, if they're like a junior developer or less confident slash experience in the code base, I actually try to get them to code more, a little counterintuitively. It's easy as someone who's a little hesitant in an area to just watch someone do things. And while that can be useful, I think oftentimes it's much more valuable to have them do things just to get their experience in. 
But once you're familiar with stuff, both of you, and you're feeling confident, then yeah, pairing off is awesome. You can both kind of just date your ideas and feel satisfied. It's not just one person driving, one person navigating. Something I wanted to bring up in addition to this is that coming as a junior, it's really intimidating to drive in front of a senior engineer or a staff engineer. And I don't know if I have advice for this, but I try to put that aside and just do it, especially because all my pairs so far have been really supportive. And yeah, I may be slower. I may make more mistakes like typing while we're pairing, but the, the gain I'm getting from that pairing session while actually driving in front of somebody was really helpful. Instead, I've noticed in the beginning, I might be like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to drive. I'll, I'll just watch. Cause I don't really know what I'm doing. I'll just watch, but I don't think I get as much from watching. It's not actively being passed into my brain. Out of curiosity, are there any things in particular you've seen that do or do not work well in making you feel more comfortable pairing with someone or especially used to? Yes. I have found out that group sessions, like mob sessions, are not very good for me because, and that's only because I'm, I have no idea what the session is about. But once I have that experience, it's it's actually great. So I need one-on-one -on -one because I need to be able to be comfortable enough to ask a question. When it's a mob session, I might not understand something, but I'm too afraid to bring up the said question. And then the group will kind of carry on and I'm sort of left in the dust. Another example of this is at Code County, we have these dev workshops and one of them was to learn more about Datadog, for example. And we're in groups of say three or four people. I might not work very well with those people yet because I don't know them. And therefore I'm more hesitant to ask these questions. So for me personally, I just am more comfortable in a one-on-one -on -one situation where I can ask my silly questions and not feel like I'm being judged for it. I, I agree. I don't like big group pairing. I mean, when there's an incident or something like you have to do it. Right. And I, there's something that we've started doing more at Podia, whereas practicing for those events where like there are a bunch of cooks in the kitchen and, you know, working on the communication and the facilitation of knowledge and like, okay, this person's doing this while this person's doing this and trying to keep track of all that. But when it is like those types of sessions and you're not exactly sure what's going on, then it's really easy to kind of zone out. Can I assert a perhaps contrarian opinion? Yes. I think mob programming is extremely effective and entertaining when done well, but it is quite difficult to do well. I think we did a few good mob sessions at Codecademy, not the first ones I held or even led, but when you have a leader that has a topic that's engaging and who can do the kind of crowd work remotely over Zoom that gets people feeling comfortable, willing, and able to speak up, I have a suspicion that there are actually good times and places for mob programming, but I don't know if this is a correct or even acceptable opinion. I don't disagree with that at all, actually. I think it was just a me personally, once I am comfortable with the folks that are in the mob session and I have somewhat of an idea of what we're pairing on, I think it is great to have multiple people voice their opinions on certain things. And you can learn a lot from different folks. 
we did have a recent mob session to remove some contentful things. And what was really great about uh, Haley was the one running it. What was really great about what Haley did is each person did the actual removing. We went into the code, we removed it, or I guess it wasn't really the code. It was the inside of contentful, right? Like every person was doing the same thing and the repetition really helped. And also after the repetition, I understood what we were doing. That's a great technique. This reminds me of a lot of techniques teachers use. Like you want the entire class to be engaged. So you will make sure that they're doing some activity, either passing it around the room or everyone doing it on their desk here. It's on their local repo or browser (laughs) or whatever. And I think audibles are really powerful and useful. Like don't just ask one person, hey, is this going to give a type error or not? Or whatever the thing is, make sure everyone is shouting out because then everyone feels like they're participating and in fact is actually participating. So yeah, Yeah. I, I think that's great. One of the things that would be great with mob sessions like learning data dog would be each person has to do the same thing versus each person was driving one solution and then the next person would drive another solution. So when I went back and tried to understand it, I didn't actually understand it because I didn't drive it. Mm. That's tricky. You get a bigger breadth of experience or Mm -hmm. possibilities, but less depth for any one particular person. Yeah. And I wonder if this ties back into Andrew and I were talking about how we learn in the past. How do we learn? And I think for me, I need that repetition and I also need that hands-on active learning. Yeah. What are some tips and advice that you could give a junior developer going into a pairing session? Ooh, I love this. Let's assume that it is a senior developer that the junior feels at least somewhat comfortable with. If there is someone on your team who you don't feel comfortable working with at all, that might be a sticky situation. Perhaps you shouldn't pair with them. Perhaps the pairing would be a great way to get comfortable with them, depending on personalities and why you don't feel comfortable. I think a lot of juniors I've talked to instinctively don't feel ready or comfortable to work with someone one-on-one because they're afraid or intimidated by the junior to whatever, senior, staff, et cetera, divide, I'd say, go do it. If they're offering a pair with you, that means that they're excited and willing and able to help you learn. So that's a good thing. So the first one is be excited. And if possible, don't be afraid. Not that telling someone not to be afraid has ever stopped anyone from being afraid or nervous in humanity's history. Second thing I'd say is be open and communicative. The the person you're pairing with whether they're a junior like you or a senior or whatever, they're not going to be able to work effectively with you if you keep it inside and don't speak up. No matter how stupid you think your questions are, I guarantee it is far better to ask them than to bottle it up. And I also guarantee that you will not sound stupid, that the point of the pairing is to air out those things that you are getting confused about. If you already got to the junior role and you're already pairing with someone, I guarantee starting that conversation will help you understand just how many things are confusing to everyone and that you should absolutely not be embarrassed to be in wonderment over. So don't be afraid and open up. Be happy. That's easy to say uh, coming from somebody who naturally does those things that helped me kind of open up as well. I was a closed off unhappy person long ago. And I just kept pretending to be happy and open. And 
eventually it just got easier and easier. But no, I think it's a skill. Pairing is a skill. And you're going to be scared at first. Most people are, not everyone, but most. You're going to find it difficult. You're going to have these awkward pauses where neither of you know what to do. You're going to have these awkward pauses where both of you know what to do and it's different and you can't agree. All these random things. And that's good. Pain is weakness leaving the body in this very specific context. It's it's good to practice these things. Right? I, I think so. It seems to be a common theme that's resurfacing of seniors being like, hey, your questions really aren't stupid. Like, please ask them so we can all get better. Like, that's been a reoccurring thing on this podcast. For the senior side of it, though, what advice do you have as a senior for pairing with a junior? Like, how do we make them more comfortable? Shut up. Shut the heck up. (laughs) We talk too much. As a species, as a group of people, read how to win friends and influence people, read nonviolent communication, read Radical Candor. Like those are my three favorite communications books. The gist in this context from those books is let people talk and don't interrupt them, which is really good advice. That seems obvious. But then, you know, the the person you're pairing with, junior or senior or whatever, they they say something and they're going down the wrong track and you you just want to steer them on course. No, shut up and listen to them. You'll learn more about them. And more importantly, you will make them feel comfortable speaking even if what they're saying is completely bogus garbage. So first thing, shut the heck up. Second is, in addition to that, be supportive. Try to understand where they're coming from. Actually listen to them. So in addition to shutting up, also listen. Like juniors, juniors are not some special breed that disappears after a year. They're human beings just like everyone else. And everyone on the inside is a junior, same as how everyone on the inside is kind of still a kid. We all want to communicate with other humans and learn collaboratively. That's a big drive in a lot of people, even if it's been stifled by social embarrassment and anxiety like it was in me and still is. So listen to them and try to really empathize with where they're coming from and even speak to that. I'll give you an example before I shut up and listen and take my own advice. When I was starting off my first full-time job as a programmer, I was so afraid to ask for help that I made a note to never ask the same thing twice. And then I made a mistake of forgetting something. Heavens forbid, I forget any piece of information. And I was blocked for a literal week on this. I like, I couldn't do anything. I didn't know. It was like how to build the app or something like really important. And I just, I futzed around. I read resources. I attended meetings. It's incredible how little you can do if you really put your mind to it. Don't, don't be like me. Actually ask for help, especially if you're in a pairing and getting a little lost. That's all. I appreciate that advice. I am hoping that this instills other junior developers to be able to ask for help and not feel like they're wasting someone's time. I wanted to bring up also, Josh, something that you do really well during a pairing session is asking me if I understood and maybe going back and having me try to explain it or also just along the lines, asking me what I already know, because sometimes you might not know what I already know. So if I already know it, you don't want to have to spend the time speaking to it again. Yeah, actually, now that you mentioned that, thank you. I forgot about that. Starting off a pairing, it's always good to level set between the two of you of what you know and what you don't. It's always good to ask if you, if you're in a position of, I know more about this than the other person for whatever reason, definitely ask them what they know and ask them to explain what they know in a very kind, supportive way, assuring them that not knowing things is okay. Definitely. 
Yeah. One thing I'll add to that is it's really helpful to know something about their personality going into it. If you've never paired before, like how does this person like to receive feedback? You know, how does this person, you know, like to do this? How do they do this? How do they manage their time? You know, all these other sorts of things, because I mean, we do that at Podia when someone new joins, they answer these icebreaker questions that everyone else in the company has answered. And like just recently, I moved to a new project with someone I hadn't worked with before. First thing I did, reading down those icebreakers, leading how they like to work, how they like to receive feedback, how they like to pair, all this other stuff. So going into it, you already know like, oh, this person doesn't like to be called out, right? They want it to be done privately or they after they're done talking or something. And versus me, I want it immediately. So it's really helpful to kind of establish that baseline. What do they know? How do they like to work? How can I make sure this is the most successful pairing session that I can give to them? Yes. Uh, Just to add to that, something that Josh also does that I really appreciated, and I'm not asking anybody to do this as well, but I need things in writing. And so after pairing sessions with Josh, Josh has already worked on writing a list of the points that we had gone over. And it was so helpful for me to go back and read that because during a pairing session, I'm not capable of stopping writing something down and continuing the conversation. I mean, if it was with somebody else, I could try to let them know, hey, can you give me a second? I just need to write this down. Sometimes I feel like I'm wasting their time, so I don't end up writing it down and then I forget it. But I really appreciated that Josh gave me some bullet points after. That honestly started as a self thing. Like I just never, I don't have a good memory. I have an atrocious memory and I can never remember what I talked about with people. So I just started writing everything down. And then it became useful for other people too. I might have to try that. Yeah. One thing I've been thinking about recently is I've gotten way better at using Notion. I would love to like just have a giant folder of pairing Notion documents. For those who haven't used it, Notion is like a really good document thing, kind of like Google Sheets crossed with Markdown with like Excel and stuff embedded in. Really easy, really nice. And then just like, send people a Notion document or Google document, whatever, before the pairing or just read both right things there. Actually, Josh, it's funny that you mentioned that because I moved all of my one-on-one notes to Notion. And what I like about what Notion allows you to do is for each of them, there's action items at the end. I moved the action items into a synced block so that once I update the action item, I can access it for each of the weekly sessions that I have with people. And so the action items all stay current so that I don't lose like the action items from the previous weeks. That's so smart. I love it. I got that from Megan. (laughs) Megan. I would also feel remiss if I didn't note, I feel strongly that you should pair with a variety of people. You as everyone, everyone should pair with a variety of people, people more senior than you, people less senior than you, or if you're the newest to a team, your peers, people who are similar backgrounds and mental models view people with different. It's just useful to pair with everyone. You get a variety of different experiences. I've seen some amazing sessions where two people who have never talked before and are totally new to a company bond over their joy of suddenly discovering how this esoteric, archaic code works. It's a wonderful thing. I'm curious if you have positive or other experiences from this yourself. I actually like that you brought that up because I sought out pairing sessions. I 
don't know if it's the ADHD and I have these pairing sessions to help me get through things more quickly, but I have a lot of pairing sessions across multiple teams. And yes, there's peers in there. There's people more experienced than I am. And I really like the ones where I'm meeting with a peer and we tell each other about what we've been working on. And so I get to understand something that they're working on in an entirely different code base. And then also I get to share what I'm working on and find the gaps in my knowledge of my own thing that I'm working on. And then also get their opinion on how I solved something a certain way. So I really like cross team pairing a lot. I'm, I guess at this point, trying to figure out how to balance the pairing sessions and the, my own work. Word. Do you find, and spoiler, I do. Do you find that when you see someone admit they don't know something, it feels amazing? Like, oh, I'm not the only one. Yes. And I love hearing that from the more experienced engineers when I pair with them, because that helps me feel like there is no end to the imposter syndrome. And I feel more comfortable being able to share that I don't know something. Yeah, that was one of the lessons I learned repeatedly the hard way when I got the staff title. So for, for personally, I think these titles are silly. There, there is value in helping people understand where they are in their career. I think a lot of people hyperfixate to an unhealthy point of, oh, this person is senior. They must know everything. Or, oh, that person is SE2. I'm not going to listen to them. Like, that's really bad. But when, when you get a title like staff software engineer in a company that only has a few of them, people naturally take your word with more weight. And I learned the hard way that you have to, at the very least, both be very upfront and overly verbose when you don't know things to help combat that kind of cultish shenanigan and also make people feel comfortable with that. And then you also have to go out of your way to not call anyone out accidentally, which gets really difficult. Like I had a few times where I would ask for a status update in a public channel, not because I thought the person was doing a bad job or that they should have gotten anything. I just wanted to raise visibility. I thought it was a cool project that was ongoing. And then it got received as this person coming down from on high is declaring that we need to get this faster. That's rude. Why would you do that? So I think no matter where you are in your career, being very mindful of how the people you're interacting with, whether it's in a pairing or Slack or whatever, will receive and interpret your words is an incredibly difficult challenge that honestly sapped my energy constantly and made me unhappy at times. Oh, you bring up a question that I have. What exactly is the difference between SE2 senior staff? Well, it depends on the company. <laughs> I don't know. There's, it's arbitrary terms. That Microsoft senior was like really, really long, like, I don't know, like, five, seven, 10 years of experience. In startups, it's like three or more. I think this, this scale will not apply to every company, but I think at Codecademy, the scale applied where software engineer one was someone who was ready, willing, and able to learn the ropes and get jobs done. Give it a problem, they could write a solution for that fixed go problem. And SE2 was able to tackle bigger problems, start participating in maybe not management, but like problem discussions and do a little bit more architecture, help the SE1s. Senior people on top of the SE2 were able to also 
given a product idea, figure out the architecture, the solution for it. So like SE ones and twos took the solution and coded it, seniors would make it with, of course, very, very large amounts of overlap between the roles. Uh, and then staff manages teams behind the scenes as kind of the puppet master guiding people to, who are senior and other to come to the right solutions. So like at each level, you're able to help the level below you, so to speak, do their job. But again, this is totally hand wavy. Every company calls it something different. Every company has different scales and that's perpetuated a lot of the confusion and I don't know, weirdness in the industry of senior versus not senior. That's pretty similar to how I view them. I mean, I have never really worked in a, a larger team where the roles were so well-defined that you're like, this is S1 or SE1 and this is SE2 and blah, blah, blah. But that's in general kind of how I view the distinction between the roles of like someone who, especially when you get upwards to senior, it's like someone who can think about the architecture, come up with the architecture, think through any side effects that may be happening, someone who knows the code a lot better. So yeah, that's generally how I think about it. So this actually, talking about architecture, brings me up to talking about pairing not just code items, but maybe spiking something or question about architecture. Is that something that you care about? Oh yeah, definitely. That's very much something. Pairings don't have to be pure writing code. I paired with people on writing self-feedback for, uh, for, what do you call it? Performance reviews, that whole thing. I think architecture is a great thing. A lot of people poo-poo the interview practice of a whiteboard because there are very many legitimate issues with it, especially when you do stupid data structures and algorithms problems, which I do not respect as an interview process. But it is very useful to be able to whiteboard or equivalent an architecture problem, points little boxes at each other explaining services or components or whatever you're doing. That is legitimately good stuff to practice and interview people on. So yeah, definitely pair on that. Have you had the pleasure of, of whiteboarding in your day-to-day -day job recently? I have been pairing with somebody who writes on my screen and it's really helpful to kind of see where things link up. Cause I was just working on something across three repos and I was trying to understand like, how does the monolith talk to a gem that talks to a different service and being able to have that annotated feature on zoom was helpful. I forgot that Zoom lets you, no one knows how to do this. The little like marker that you can put on people's screens. It's so funny. People like try to interact with it with their mouse and get surprised when it stays, <laughs> even though they're scrolling. But yeah, it's such a good technique. Plus one. Uh, actually, I've, I take that back. It was not Zoom. It was, how do I pronounce it? Tuple? Tuple? Tuple. Tuple. I think in Python, it's called a tuple, but the company is tuple. That's... So funny. In TypeScript, we call it tuple. And there's a JavaScript proposal for a completely different thing called, a somewhat different thing called a tuple in JavaScript. Although I think I might've heard TC39 representative. That's like the committee that makes these things say tuple at some point. Further research required. Well, we are about at time. Julie, was there anything else you wanted to hit on? I just wanted to say that for all the junior developers out there, please reach out when you need help. It helps you become a more efficient and productive engineer and also will help you level up more quickly. And I want other folks to feel like 
they're able to do that. Any last words from our senior and staff engineers? I think this is great. I think I share a lot of the same viewpoints. So it was great to get you on the show, Josh. And yeah, pairing was really what changed my career or helped me become a lot better. So yeah, I would encourage anyone to try to do it if your company is open to it. And if the company is not open to it, interviewing is not as daunting the second time around. Just kidding. Just kidding. But yeah, uh, plus one. But maybe not. <laughs> but yeah, not, not really kidding, actually. To find you a supportive company that's got your back and helps you grow as a developer, that is one of the most important things, along with being happy and psychologically safe. So thanks, Julie and Andrew, for having me. This was a ton of fun. Yay, yeah, Ruby. Where can people find you online? Oh, so many places. Glad you asked. I stream a couple times a week, actually, on Twitch. My channel slash username is Joshua K. Goldberg. I'm real new, so don't expect greatness. I'm on Twitter as Joshua K. Goldberg. I'm on GitHub as Joshua K. Goldberg. I also wrote a book, Learning TypeScript. I realize not the same audience, but for anyone who wants to both know excellent Ruby and excellent TypeScript things, it's a great book through O'Reilly. And also please sponsor me on GitHub or sponsor TypeScript via Slip, the biggest project I work on because I do open source full-time. I don't have a job. I just write code that you use. Yay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Cool. I see you again, Julie. It's like we're working together still. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's another one for us. So thank you everyone for listening and we will catch you all next week. Bye. Bye.